I'm going to go ahead and turn my mic on because it works best when it's on. I've noticed that. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. My name is John Ziegler, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so happy to get to spend some time together this morning worshiping, spend some time in the Word. Who is He? This morning, in our gospel reading that our Deacon Darrell read for us this morning, Jesus poses perhaps what is the most important question ever to the disciples. And it's the most important question that you'll ever answer. And that question is this. Who is Jesus? Jesus says, who do you say I am? Now, I said last week that the disciples work really hard demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of Israel. And not only do they work really hard to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're trying to tell us what kind of Messiah Jesus is. And it turns out that when the question is popped, the really important question, Peter gets it right. Who do you say I am? What does Peter say? You are the Messiah. Now, you might not know this, but this is kind of a big deal. To, to be the Messiah, the Messiah is the one in whom Israel's hope rests, the one through whom God will make the world right. And we get the feeling that up until this time, the disciples knew that Jesus was a really great teacher, and they knew that he was a healer, and they knew he had a powerful ministry. They knew he was worth following, and perhaps they had the hope that maybe he would be the one. Could he be the Messiah? But up until this point, none of them have confessed their belief. No one has put it into words. Yes, you are the Messiah. And so it's a kind of a DTR, a define the relationship moment. Maybe some of us can remember a time we were in a relationship and the first time you said to your partner, I love you. And whether you got that I love you back or not, right? These are kind of big moments. Maybe some of you uh, remember a time when you asked someone to marry you. Well, that's kind of a big deal, right? You pop the question, and you're asking this person to kind of like say something that's going to be kind of in part important for you, like for the rest of your life, right? And this is in a sense in which Jesus pops the big question, who do you say I am? And Peter gets the answer right. There's a big difference between I'll follow you because you're teaching some really good stuff and I like your ministry and I like to see all these people getting healed and I think you are the summation of human history, <laughs> right? There's a really big difference between the two. And Peter boldly proclaims, perhaps before anyone else was ready to say it, and he says, yes, Jesus, you are the one. You are the Messiah, but what does it mean to be the Messiah? And here is the twist in the story. A lot of us here are perhaps familiar with the great film, The Princess Bride. In this film, Vizzini, the Sicilian criminal mastermind, the antagonist, he keeps using this word, inconceivable. And often he exclaims inconceivable throughout the, the movie. And at one point in the movie, another character 
Ignio Montoya turns to him and says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and it's at this point that Jesus has to turn to Peter and say, you keep using that word Messiah, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And so he begins to teach them that the Messiah must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, rise again. Now what a bad idea, Jesus, that you have. Even worse, the text tells us he said it all quite openly. He wasn't even hushed about this really bad announcement. Surely this cannot be what it means to be Messiah. And so Peter jumps in to set Jesus right. But he does it tactfully. The text says he pulls Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. Jesus, what you're talking about actually doesn't sound like Messiah. It doesn't sound like the healing of Israel, the forgiveness of sins, and release from Gentile oppression. You are the Messiah. You're not supposed to be suffering or facing rejection or death. And if you do, how can God triumph over his enemies and set the world right? And so Jesus decides this isn't going to be a personal conversation. We're all going to get back in this. He turns to his disciples, and in front of all of them, he begins to rebuke Peter. And he says these famous words, get out of my way, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And so we might ask, how is it? that the greatest leader of the church and the biggest fan of Jesus suddenly comes to be called Satan. Now, if you're familiar with the text, you know that Satan is the one who opposes the work of God in the world. And in the gospel, Satan is the one who tempts the Messiah. He's the one that wants to derail the plans that God has for the Messiah. You might remember that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And one of the temptations that he undergoes in the wilderness is the temptation to be crowned king without suffering, right? Satan says, bow down and worship me, and I'm going to give you all of this. You're going to get the kingdom without suffering, my New Testament teacher, Tommy Gibbons, put it like this. Like us, Peter wants to be safe from terrorists and enemy armies. He wants security and economic stability and prosperity. He wants to win. Like us, Peter assumes that this is what God's victory is about. But the outrage and the scandal of Jesus, Messiah, is that he insists that this is indeed the way of Satan, 
the way that enslaves the world in its ongoing hostility and demonic violence, sickness, and death. The victory of the God of Israel will come through the apparent defeat of Messiah, through the power of his love in the face of torture and betrayal, and it will spread in and through an Israelite messianic community that follows Jesus' way of love and their political and economic practices. How is it that someone like Peter, leader of the church, could suddenly become called Satan? Well, friends, we become Satan when we seek the kingdom without the cross. Jesus said, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We become Satan when we want to follow Jesus without denying ourselves. We want the benefits of the kingdom without suffering, without vulnerability, without shame, or identifying with sinners or those on the margins. And the great German theologian, pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorites, reminds us, that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so if you aren't ready to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to, you actually become Satan. You become the one who stands in the way of Messiah and the work of God in the world. And Jesus goes on to say, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, we'll save it. We become Satan in our attempts to save our own lives. This is a faith without vulnerability. And for pastors like me, this is a powerful temptation. In America, especially in the evangelical South, it takes the form of pragmatism. We get caught up with the thing that works. Jesus needs to save people, and he needs people like me to figure out a strategy, a plan to get folks in the door, and a plan to get them to saying the right things and doing the right things. And if we just dial in the service right, and we dial in the message right, and we dial in the Google ads right, and bring it all together, we're going to see the kingdom come. Well, my friends, there's actually nothing pragmatic about the cross and suffering and rejection and death. And there's nothing we can do to make resurrection happen. God is looking for us to live by faith in a way that expects him to show up and do something that only he can do. We need the power of the resurrection. And so when I try to make the church into a pragmatic fortress that cannot fail, basically it's going to work whether the spirit moves or not, I become a Satan. I become a stumbling block in the way of the Messiah. So Jesus goes on to explain, those who are ashamed of me 
and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. I want you to know that I can so identify with Peter this morning. It would be easy to be ashamed of the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. After all, who wants a vulnerable savior? Who wants to put their faith in someone who will be rejected and killed? So unpopular, so unsuccessful. And so the apparent weakness of the cross is scandalous. And while we're at it, I would name the apparent weakness of the church is also, right? It's easy to be ashamed of the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. And when we look at the church, it can seem also so weak and so vulnerable. When we think about what we're competing with, all the things that are competing for the attention of our friends, where does the gospel even fall into that? You think about all the money that's represented here in Atlanta, right, in corporate America, and all the great sports teams we have, and all the entertainment. This morning, we're, if we're at 10 a.m. on Sunday, we're competing with brunch, right? That's our main competitor out there. We convince our friends that there's something worth their while to come and discover Jesus at his table. And I don't know about you, but at times when I look at this church and I look at the thing we're doing, it can feel so weak and so powerless. But we have to remember the Messiah we have to remember the cross and the invitation to join Jesus and take our cross and follow him. It's what appears to the world as something as weak and powerless, but it's none other than the instrument through which God is saving the world. The good news this morning is that the Messiah conquers through the weakness of the cross and even the weakness of the church. The good news is also this morning is that Jesus is not giving up on Peter, right? After Peter gets Jesus so wrong, Jesus is right there with him. Yes, he's gonna rebuke, them, rebuke him, but he's gonna continue to come around him. He's gonna continue to love him. He's gonna continue to disciple him, continue to believe in him, that he's gonna come around in the future. He, he's not gonna give up on the work of the Spirit in Peter, and that's good news for us. I don't know about you, but I continually get it wrong. I continually get Jesus wrong. I am continually tempted to wanna make a Messiah in my own image, right? To take my own ideology, my own political ideology, or whatever it is, and try to force that on Jesus and make him into a Messiah that I want him to be. The good news this morning is that there's hope for people like me and for people like Peter because Jesus isn't giving up on him, and Christ is not giving up on the church. So in just a moment, we're about to conclude, and we're gonna enter into a moment of silent reflection. And before we enter, I just wanna give you a few things to reflect on as we spend a few moments in silence. The first thing I wanna invite you to reflect on is the big question this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? If Jesus pops the question on you this morning, what will you say? Is he to you Messiah? Is he Lord? Are you really trusting in him to put all things right? And if not Messiah, then what? If he's not that, 
Where are you today on the Jesus question? What kind of person then was he? And what are you gonna do with this story? I invite you to ponder that as we go into silence. And then I also wanna invite you to ponder what kind of Messiah is he? We are always tempted to fashion the Messiah into our own liking, and we like people that are rich, and we like people that are powerful and popular. Have you been able to discern the Messiah as he truly is? And have you considered his humble ways and how he became obedient to the Father and took on the form of a slave and he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross? And some of us this morning need to maybe just reflect on that for a minute and let it reshape in our mind who Jesus is and what it means for us to be following him this morning. The third one is, will you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow the Messiah in his crossword path? What is it that God is calling you to lay aside this morning? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Some of us might be holding on to some things that we're gonna have to let go if we're gonna be able to follow Jesus, we're gonna be able to take up our cross. What might that be this morning? I invite you now into a moment of silent reflection as we reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to us this morning.